Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in to Stand Up For The Truth. Merry Christmas season. I can't wait to get to our first-time guest, James Simpson, who wrote a phenomenal, extensively researched book called Who Was Karl Marx? There's some information in here. I mean, I've been studying this stuff, some of it for years, but there's so much of that I did not know. So you guys are going to be blessed by what he has to share. I just want to share, first of all, the oral arguments took place yesterday for the big Supreme Court case for life in the womb. And many people are hopeful after yesterday's uh, yesterday morning's oral arguments. And I got a little brief from the Family Research Council. So um, it, it will, we just have to pray, friends. It's out of our hands, but we have to pray. Do you want a culture of life to be cultivated back in this country again? Uh, since the erroneous decision Roe v. Wade. Could that be overturned? This is a very real possibility. But we have to prepare, prepare for the war, right? You know there will be a political and a cultural war. There already is over the issue of life in the womb. So uh, let's get into the podcast today. By the way, um, uh, James, his book is available on Amazon. It's doing very, very well. And let's just get into the intro here, guys. A lot to talk about. You will be blessed I guarantee it. James Simpson is an investigative journalist, businessman, and former economist and budget examiner for the White House Office of Management and Budget. Since 1995, he has written for various periodicals and is perhaps best known for his expose on the Cloward-Piven strategy of manufactured crisis. We've talked about that quite a bit, and we see it happening today. And we've got that link to that topic going to Trevor Loudon's website. He's got a phenomenal article on that uh, crisis. So uh, James worked, and uh, he's, he's worked for years on this. He actually provided background for Glenn Beck's TV series on the subject. Do you remember that? It informed a lot of us. Uh, James was featured in Curtis Bower's award-winning docu- documentary, Agenda, Grinding America Down. And that's where I first learned about James and uh, Trevor Loudon. So, uh, His work, Mr. Simpson's work, has been published in the Washington Times, D.C. Independent Examiner, World Net Daily, American Thinker, Accuracy in Media, Breitbart, Fox Nation, Right Side News, and so many others we don't have time to announce. But he's the author of The Patriot's Handbook, The Red-Green Axis 2.0, and his new book, which we'll talk about today, it's called Who Was Karl Marx? The Men the motives, and the menace behind today's rampaging American left. James Simpson, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth. Thanks for that flattering introduction. Well, you're very welcome. Well, you deserve it. Like I said, I'm an author, too, and a writer, but, man, I appreciate someone like yourself who puts in so much time to get just the extensive detail that you do in your research. And, uh, real one quick question I wasn't planning on asking, but in the end of your book, you've got a phenomenal um, section called Back from the Brink, a comprehensive plan to save America. Um, is that somewhat similar to the Patriot's Handbook? Uh, well, the Patriot's Handbook was something I wrote, uh, oh, I don't know, six or seven years ago. So, no, this is much more uh, up-to-date on the things we can do. I mean, it, it has a lot of the same, you know, similar stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it's much more tailored to what we're going through right now. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's there's tons of things that people can do, and we've talked about, you know, writing, the, writing uh, your local newspaper, calling your uh, representatives and your senators, uh, you know, um, getting involved in, in campaigns and things like that. And sure, those things have always been uh, important. But, you know, a lot of people just 
won't do that stuff. Hmm. So what I tried to do was create um, a list of things that people could do that wouldn't put them outside of their zone of comfortability. You know, the the the, uh, the left always tries to keep uh, its strategies in an area where its followers can just happily do whatever it is that they're asking. And, of course, they're much better at that than we are because their whole goal is to uh, have government control of everything, and they all think that they're going to get jobs in this uh, upcoming utopia that they've been uh, advocating for hundreds of years. Uh, And they're really sadly mistaken, but you you can't tell them that. But on our side, you know, we, we tend just not to do, uh, not to be willing to, to step out of our comfortability zone. So I tried to do a lot of things, say a lot of things, mm-hmm. suggest a lot of things that would anybody can do. And then, of course, there's the fact that right now we are on the cusp of losing our country. Yes. And people have to understand that. So uh, in one sense, I do say yes. We have to stand up. That's probably the most important two words uh, that we could think about right now. Stand up. You know, the the uh, Rittenhouse trial, uh, those 12 jurors hmm. who really, in my mind, don't get credit often enough, stood up to the leftist mob. And if they had, the only reason they could have ever decided uh, against Rittenhouse would be because, you know, they were intimidated, like when the NBC <clears throat> producer tried to follow them home so he could find out where they lived, and then you can be sure, uh, publish that. So they would all be terrified of having themselves, their family, their friends, their neighborhoods threatened by this rampaging mob, and if that had happened, it it would have been a decision that favored rule of the mob rather than rule by rule of law. Mm. And so the rule of law won there, and it won because those people said, we don't care, we are going to stand up for the truth, and they did so very bravely yes. because— you know, they they really could literally face life-threatening uh, circumstances um, because of that decision, and I'm sure they were acutely aware of that fact. Yes, they were, and so kudos to them. And yeah, what yep. what what a f- interesting place or time that we're living in, James. In that yep. we now there's a realistic fear of Antifa or Black Lives Matter or really domestic terrorists. They call what happened on January 6th, you know, domestic terrorism. And and hear what they're doing in Portland, Seattle, Minneapolis, and across the country. And they are really inflicting the country with fear and the the fear-mongering media certainly is doing their job for the left as well. Yes, but I I wanted to share some of your table of contents before we dive into the book. Um, So much we want to touch on. I don't know what we'll get to today. But uh, sure. Frederick Engels, we got to talk about him, the most important mm-hmm. radical no one's ever heard of. And I'll l- let you share who that is in the next segment. Uh, Vladimir Lenin and the strategy of hate. Uh, we've talked about Antonio Gramsci, his prison notebooks, and the long progressive yep. march through the major institutions in America. We talked a little yep. bit about the Frankfurt School. You're going to really give us a little bit more on that than what we've, we've been uh, hearing recently. Rules for Radicals, Saul Alinsky. And, of course, the border crisis, the role of the U.N., COVID-19, and the Great Reset, which is really driving a lot of what we're seeing today. But, James Simpson, let's go right into your introduction. I read that it's not a lengthy introduction, but what is in here? We could spend just an hour talking about what you shared and the points from your introduction. So you start and you really talk about what happened last year with George Floyd's death that turbocharged a movement that was already very active in the Obama administration and during the Trump administration. Just start right there and set the stage for us. Sure, sure. So they have been 
following this agenda in, in the United States for almost 100 years. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, uh, 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 about 100 years. And But it's like boiling the frog. You know, they did it under the radar, and one of the first uh, organizations to be penetrated in the United States by Soviet agents and uh, domestic communists who were of course, anybody who's a member of the American Communist Party is and was a Soviet agent by definition because the American Communist Party was taking its uh, guidance from uh, from Soviet uh, agents in the United States at the various consulates, uh, at the embassies, and, um, and <laughs> the CPUSA was being paid you know they were supported financially yep. by the soviets so you know pretty much any communist in this country whether he or she knew it or not and some of them had no idea uh they were acting as soviet agents uh doing carrying out their bidding in the united states uh, you know i think communism and the communist party should have been outlawed uh, people who even join it uh, should, uh, you know, face consequences for that. Um, but, but because of the way our nation is structured, you know, we allow people with all kinds of crazy ideas to express them and push them. Mm-hmm. But the communists are different. They don't just have ideas. They have an agenda. And the agenda is to overthrow this country uh, using whatever means at their disposal and uh, replace it with a communist society. So uh, I, I talk about four basic ideas. One is that the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. And uh, former communist David Horowitz uh, was quoting another leftist in the uh, in the 60s who said that. And the idea is that, that, you know, they don't care about the various issues they promote. They don't care about abortion rights. They don't care about gay rights. They don't care about immigrant rights. All of those agendas serve to enable them to insinuate themselves into positions of power where they can then dictate and control uh, everything. Hmm. And so the, the issue only matters to them insofar as they can uh, get and maintain positions of power. And very importantly, and nobody talks about this, wealth. Hmm. The, the left wants, they are the greediest people on the face of the earth. They want to be impossibly wealthy, but they don't want to earn it. They want to confiscate it from the rest of us who have. Mm. And Marxism provides them with a convenient excuse to do that. The whole idea of Marxism and communism, you know, the ideology, it's, it's, it's uh, described or considered as some kind of high theory. And in fact, it's nothing more than a marketing plan mm-hmm. for a bunch of people intent on grabbing all the power and wealth they can. It's just like uh, a very highly organized mafia to take control and have everything they want for themselves. And if anybody objects, it's off to the gulag, comrade. Mm. So the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. And the the important thing is, you uh, you know, like in the Soviet Union, uh, they quickly established what was called the Extraordinary Commission to Combat uh, Counter-Revolution. And the the Russian acronym for that was the Czech. And they became known as the Czechas or the Czechists. And the Czechists were the precursor to what we today call the KGB, although it's undergone numerous name changes uh, the F- S- SVR for the international version and the uh, FSB for the domestic version. But it's all KGB. It's all secret police that had to be established because they knew that once they were in power, 
Hmm. If people figured out what they were really up to, people would be up in arms. <laughs> so they preemptively yep. uh, identified different groups and individuals who would be likely to uh, to respond negatively to them, and they just killed them right from the beginning. Hmm. And that's the kind of thing that they have to do to protect their power monopoly. So number two is this is an asymmetric strategy of military conquest. Everything the left is doing, you just ignore what they say. What they say is utterly absurd, ridiculous. I have no idea why anybody gives the left any air because everything they say is ridiculous. It's always 180 degrees from the truth. Uh, all the various strategies, whether it's um, violence in the street or uh, the different kinds of um, proposals, you know, Biden's Build Back Better. Yes. These are all asymmetric strategies of military conquest because that's what we're looking at, a communist conquest of the United States, an attempt to overthrow it. They've kept themselves quiet up until Trump was elected. And when he was elected, they saw that election and the American people beginning to wake up as a direct threat Mm -hmm. to this agenda, which they believed they were right on the cusp of achieving. So for four years, we saw every day, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, hashtag resist against anything and everything Trump did. And it was amazing he was able to accomplish the things he did in spite of them. But And, and then uh, they made sure that he was going to lose the election, and they, they did that through exploiting COVID. A lot of people died directly because of the way they exploited COVID. Yes. They didn't care about that. They could care less. In fact, the more people died, the more they rejoiced because it meant – the more they could pin the COVID, uh, you know, fallout on on President Trump, and then they always engage in massive vote fraud, mm-hmm. and this time they really took it to the max. And the the mail-in voting was the way they managed to do that, and then plus so many other unconstitutional changes they made in state law and state. Uh, processes. They didn't change any laws. They just, uh, you know, just changed it on paper. Mm-hmm. And, and and so that was, these are all asymmetric strategies of military conquest. They're not going to attack us militarily because we have nuclear weapons. We have advanced weaponry. Uh, I don't think that our our military is nearly as strong as we like to think it is. But it's still got teeth, and they don't want to do it that way. You know, communists fight so that the shooting doesn't begin until they've already won. Yes. That's how they manage it. Well, and so— isn't sorry, that, Go ahead. Oh, isn't that one of the kind of uh, agendas behind cultural Marxism? They can win without firing a shot by invading all the major institutions, and that's why we'll talk about an Antonio Gramsci in a minute. We've got one more minute, uh, James. Uh, one fascinating thing you said in point number three in the introduction to the book, yeah. normal people are baffled by this yeah. seeming illogic. What's happening? It seems things are upside down. People are referencing yeah. Orwell's 1984. So in the last yeah. minute here, just share your thought on that before we have to take a break. Yeah, well, it as I say in the book, it has a deadly logic, and the logic is mm. to unhinge our society from any and all anchors to reality, stability, and security, to strike fear into our hearts and to make us desperate for it to stop. A lot of people voted against Trump because they thought all the, this uproar would stop when he lost and we'd have um, uh, moments of peace instead president so-called president biden has turned our entire nation upside down they flagrantly lie before our eyes 
and they expect us and they and it's like in your face deliberately because we know it's lies but they refuse to tell the truth mm. and it's all to um make us totally uncertain to unhinge us from any anchors to reality mm -hmm. because when we are that confused and that afraid we are very easy to manipulate yes thank you for putting it that way and what's astounding is they are succeeding to a large degree yep. evil is succeeding yep. and that's what yep. surprises me about the american people and uh, our lack of either understanding or resistance but we're talking with author james simpson the book is called who was karl marx we're going to talk about the satanic agenda behind all this and so much more about the people the rampaging american left next on stand up for the truth keep it right here your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest, James Simpson, says every single radical agenda at work in the world today comes directly from the mind and work of Karl Marx. It is important, therefore, to ask the question, who was Karl Marx? Who were the men that advanced his plan, and what have they done to achieve it? And James, to wrap up the introduction to your book, one of the things yeah. you said clearly was, at its heart, this evil agenda is satanic. Before we touch on some of the people you have on the book cover and identify them, uh, just sure. share your thoughts on the satanic influence behind all this. Well, it, it, it truly is satanic. You know, Marx uh, wasn't an atheist. Marx believed in God, but he wanted to be his equal. Mm -hmm. He wanted to replace God, and that is the great temptation since the Garden of Eden, uh, that ye shall be as gods. You know, uh, Satan uh, whispered that. Mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, Adam and Eve. And that is the great temptation of man. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> as I say in the book, you know, uh, uh, you know, Whitaker Chambers said, Whitaker Chambers was, uh, for those who don't know him, was a communist in the State Department in the 30s. He became a Christian and turned whistleblower uh, against Alger Hiss and his Cell, mm -hmm. and Alger Hiss was a um, communist agent, Soviet agent, working in the State Department. Uh, Whitaker Chambers says, it's the great alternative faith of mankind. It is the vision of man's mind displacing God as the creative intelligence of the world. And, you know, I quote Marx in the very beginning of the chapter on him, that his poet his poem says, you know, uh, I'm going to destroy the world, and then I'll wander godlike and victorious through the ruins of the world, and giving my words an active force, I will feel equal to the Creator. That was Karl Marx. Yep. He was so, uh, he was a megalomaniac, uh, and this is the common thread that uh, all communists share. They think they know better than everybody. They think they have a vision for the future that solves the world problems as long as they're the ones in charge dictating everything. And But once they take power, it turns out all they are is compulsively greedy, selfish people who want to take it all for themselves. And because they continue to maintain this belief that they have the this vast uh, superior intelligence, they will kill anyone who gets in their way. Thank you for quoting Whitaker Chambers, because that was one I highlighted I was going to mention, and so thank you. His history is very yep. important to understand as well, and yep. and uh, God bless Absolutely. him for, for the, the, the shift that he made in his worldview and coming yep. to Christ. But, yeah, okay, before we get to your book cover, um, well, actually, Barack Obama's one of the many uh, faces on your book cover. And you, you just used the word megalomaniac. Yep. So, so I would love for you to share what you wrote about former President Obama and 
his quote that we have forgotten, I, be, I believe, from his 2008 victory speech that you, 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 hear, you still hear this today and you go, wow, how did he get away with that? How did he say that? Yeah. So just share your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, he was sort of the uh, pinnacle of the kind of example of the people that I'm talking about. He personifies the modern progressive. And I use that term very loosely because, you know, in the 20s, the communists who thought they had the greatest idea on earth found out after the Soviet Union was established that they're all just a bunch of mass murderers. It gave them a pretty bad name. So they said, well, what name can we come up with that would replace communists and make us still sound good. Oh, let's call ourselves progressives. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what they've been ever since. And it drives me nuts when, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, media people talk about the progressives and the and everybody does it. Even the most conservative Republican senators and congressmen say, oh, well, this, this progressive uh, movement. It's not progressive. It's the most regressive movement ever devised by man. I call communism the evolutionary endpoint to human depravity because that's what it is. Uh, So Obama said in his primary victory speech, it wasn't his election speech, uh, which I had in early uh, editions of this book, uh, I had mistakenly put down as his election speech. It was a primary victory speech. It said, generations from now, we will be able to look back and tell our children that this was the moment when the rise of the oceans began to slow and our planet began to heal. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, <clears throat> they get elected and suddenly everything sighs a big sigh of relief. <laughs> oh, we've finally arrived. We're we're saved, you know. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Well, you kind of heard Michael Jackson's song "Heal the World" just playing in the background as Obama was making that speech. <laughs> oh my goodness! So, yeah, yeah. so James, back to your book cover. And by the way, friends, that uh, we're speaking with James Simpson, investigative journalist and businessman, and phenomenal author and writer and researcher. Who was Karl Marx? The the subtitle is "The Men, the Motives, and the Menace." behind today's rampaging American left. Well, I think you left out a few women there. Let's go over, let's shift over to the women on your front cover. Uh, just a couple right. of them, James. Go ahead, highlight a few. Well, I've got two. I mean, there's there's many more, but, you know, you can only do so much in a book. You don't want to <laughs> lose everybody with that much detail. But mm-hmm. two very critical ones right now. Uh, well, one that has been extremely important, but almost unknown, uh, is Frances Fox Piven, Mm -hmm. uh, co-author with her husband, Richard Cloward, of the Cloward-Piven Crisis Strategy, uh, on which I devote an entire chapter. And then, of course, there's Nancy Pelosi. And, you know, Nancy Pelosi, most people don't know this, her, 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 her father was the mayor of Baltimore. He was, he was a mob leader. Mm-hmm. He was a mafia guy, and uh, she grew up in a, a family of criminals, and she carried that into um, her, her, her uh, political life. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, these people, they don't see the difference between communism and mobism is that communists are much better organized. Hmm. They have a much better plan for taking and seizing, seizing and holding power. And so it's a natural uh, match. Uh, one of the, uh, Saul Alinsky, who I also talk about, um, you know, he loved to hang out with the Chicago mob. <laughs> he loved those guys. Uh, he, he he identified with them, hmm. and there's no difference. So uh, she came into uh, into power. She was elected, uh, you know, representative of San Francisco back in the '80s, and she was immediately 
immediately uh, anti-American. Mm-hmm. I mean, she 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 opposed uh, Reagan's um, support for the Contras uh, in Nicaragua, who were fighting the communist Sandinistas, and uh, she's been in the radical left since day one. Uh, there's nothing at all moderate about her uh, today or ever, never been. All of those California representatives and senators, they were all on the extreme left right from the beginning. And since she has become, you know, a Speaker of the House, she's taken her power and just used it to the max. Uh, and so, James, started, I, I've yeah. got I've got to jump in here and ask you a question that yeah. that I believe is probably on a lot of our listeners' minds right now, and that is, sure. if this is true, what you're saying, and I know it is, and we can research yep. it, and we know her background, we know what her worldview is, and yep. a lot of people are going, well, how did she? become one of the most powerful women in America then? Yeah, right. Yeah, well, that that is the great question. And it, <laughs> it goes to the introduction where I say the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. You know, what the Democrats have successfully done since the 60s is wrap themselves in the mantle of compassion. Mm-hmm. All they want to do is help the poor, help the downtrodden. All they want is social justice. They say they do. And yeah, well, they say they do, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and so people get sucked in to the idea that following that agenda makes them better people. You know, people who don't have God in their lives, who don't recognize the fallen nature of man, what do they have to rely on to make themselves feel better about themselves? One thing, pride. Hmm. Pride. And so if they wrap them, if they uh, identify themselves with these movements that uh, claim to, you know, liberate the oppressed of the earth, they automatically think they're better than everybody else. You know, what we've known for a long time is that every one of us is just as compassionate. You know, I've spent decades studying these issues because I would like to see uh, people brought out of poverty. I would like to see the inner cities healed. the difference is, as an economist, I studied and learned how the best way that should be done. Yes. But the Democrats have done the exact opposite. They have seen uh, these programs, welfare in particular, mm-hmm. as their way of controlling and bringing an entire group of people under their wing and make them essentially slaves to their agenda. Yes. And this was a strategy they were aware of when they created welfare. There were two goals. One was to bring a whole bunch of people into the Democratic Party by essentially showering them with government benefits. And then the other was to make those people so needy that they couldn't get out of it. Mm. And then at the same time, the, the, the schools, the education system came in and told those people, it's all the white man's fault. Yeah. It's all the white man's fault that you are where you are. You'll never get out of it. The only way to, uh, to get any better is to depend on us for you know, welfare benefits, you deserve everything, you deserve a, uh, a a basic income, you deserve $15 an hour. I mean, these ideas were um, bandied about 
by Cloward and Piven in the 1970s, and now we're seeing them uh, folded into Build Back Better and other, you know, uh, proposals by the Democrats. Yes. But the idea is to bring as many people that, as they can under the government thumb uh, using the narrative of compassion, mm-hmm. but they aren't compassionate at all. They would like to see these people angry and unhappy and feel powerless. They've deliberately done that, and Cloward and Piven said that that was the agenda. They spoke it out loud, mm-hmm. and uh, Richard Cloward's ideas formed the basis for Johnson's Great Society Thank program. you. Thank you. I was just going to ask you about that. We've got two minutes left in this segment, James yep. Simpson. And wasn't the Great Society and Johnson's ballooning of the federal government, wasn't that a catalyst to what we're seeing today as far as people's reliance on government and the fact that it never really helped the people that they claimed it was going to help, the, the poor, the inner city people? Go ahead. Yep. Yeah. No, absolutely. And the one thing, you know, before the uh, before the 1964 Civil Rights Act and before the uh, uh, Great Society programs were established, the black inner-city community was very tight. Men did not leave their wives. The nuclear black family was their chief source of strength. Now, I'm not saying uh, we shouldn't have had the 1964 Civil Rights Act, because a lot of those people were very, you know, illegitimately held down um, by the past laws and things that we had. Um, but the goal of the Great Society was to destroy the nuclear black family. That was all part of Marx's plan to destroy the nuclear family for all people. But they wanted to start with the black family so that they would create a welfare-dependent community. And they even went so far as to policing, once they passed the Great Society, went so far as to policing inner cities and dragging men out of their families' houses if they were there past 10 o'clock p.m. I mean, it was just simply astonishing. And it's what's more astonishing is it was never reported. I have black friends that have told me this is what happened. They saw it. Hmm. We've got to take a break. Our guest is James Simpson, an author of the new book, Who Was Karl Marx? It's doing very well on Amazon and other outlets. And we talk about the men, the motives, and the menace behind today's rampaging American left. When we come back, we promised you earlier, we will talk about the most important radical no one's ever heard of. And I didn't know who this was either, James, so kudos. More with James Simpson in just a minute on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, James Simpson. Since Simpson is an author and investigative journalist, James, how can people get a hold of you before we get back into more topics? Well, the best way probably is to go to my website, crisisnow.net, and it's really just a one page with my uh, links to archives for all my articles going back to about 2005, Hmm. and it also has a description of my book and a link to the Amazon page, but they can also get uh, my book at Goodreads, uh, Abe Books, and a couple of others I forget. It's not in bookstores yet. I hope it will finally get there, Um, but um, it's not in any bookstores, at least not to any great extent so far. Uh, The best place is just to go to Amazon, uh, type in who was Karl Marx, and it should pop right up because it's uh, uh, been selling very well. But some people don't like to go to Amazon, so go to Goodreads or go to Abe Books, and you can find it there. Yeah. Sounds good, James. So before we get into the most important radical no one's ever heard of, which you detail in your book, there's a photo that was passed along a couple years ago, I believe, uh, maybe it was last year, of Keith Ellison, a representative, actually the attorney general in Minnesota, uh, holding the Antifa 
Handbook, the anti-fascist handbook, and even the leftist website Snopes deemed that to be true. That was not a photoshopped image. Can you explain now we're shifting to Minnesota and how a man such as Ellison was elected? Well, I'll tell you how he was elected, uh, exactly how he was elected. The GOP did not turn out the vote. Mm. 500,000 Republicans in Minnesota did not vote. Wow. And it was 2018, I believe. And he only won by 90,000 votes. And, of course, Minnesota has always had a very uh, robust uh, communist movement. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the Iron Hills, uh, they call them the Red Hills. I mean, you know, there are people, uh, many of whom immigrated from Scandinavia, who brought socialist and communist ideas with them. So there's always been a fairly large and growing um, network of of communists uh, in, um, <clears throat> in Minnesota. And Keith Ellison was, has been, uh, always one of them. And uh, <clears throat> so he, you know, deputy chairman of the Democratic National Committee, uh, a nominal Muslim, but really actually a communist. Um, he ran for attorney general and won. Mm-hmm. And that's basically putting the fox in charge of the hen house. And his son, Jeremiah, serves on the Minneapolis City Council. <laughs> and he's the one who proposed and passed a referendum abolishing the Minneapolis police shortly after George Floyd thing came out. Mm-hmm. And these are the kinds of people that we have there, and they are going after conservatives, they are going after uh, schools, and it's an unholy alliance between the Somali Muslims who, for some reason, decided Minneapolis was going to be their home base, so there's hundreds of thousands of um, uh, Somali Muslims living there, Mm -hmm. and they, of course have partnered with the radical left, and they therefore elected Elon Omar to be their representative. Wow. And so it's all this, this unholy alliance, but mm-hmm. the chief reason that they're in power is because the state GOP did nothing mm. to get the vote out. And it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's inexcusable uh, that they were so... Um, ineffective in running Republicans and getting people out there that could beat uh, people like Keith Ellison, because there were some some very good uh, people who ran both for for uh, uh, governor, uh, Phil Parrish, great guy, former Air Force uh, intelligence guy, fantastic guy, things like that. And, and and they just didn't have a chance because the state GOP wouldn't support them. Wow. And, and so that's why we wound up with somebody as bad as Keith Ellison. But he's not alone. Right. You know, the mayor of uh, Portland, the governor of Washington state, yep. uh, so many others are, they're basically just... Antifa members that don't go out and uh, hit people with bats. <laughs> Instead, they use their power uh, in, in in their positions to destroy from within, mm-hmm. to undermine organizations and institutions, and give people like Antifa and Black Lives Matter free reign to go out and destroy things because they're all uh, on the same side. They all want the same thing. And, you know, the Antifa BLM riots, which were really the true insurrection that happened over throughout 2020 and are still going on today. Yes. um, uh, That's that's their way of doing things. Mm -hmm. Antifa is not separate from the Democrat Party. Antifa is the tip of the spear 
for the Democratic Party. And, you know, they go out and tell you what's going to happen if you don't comply. And then the Democrats come in and say, oh, here's ways you can comply. And you'll even get a bunch of money from the federal government to do so. So it's carrot and the stick, but it's all part and parcel of the same agenda. And they're all on board with it. Thank you. That was so well put. I believe that's going to be one of our truth bombs that we play throughout the day. Okay, so let's shift here a little bit, James. I'm going to read a quote so people can really understand what this guy stood for. And there's this is a quote from 1869. Yep. The only form of revolution beneficial to the people is one which destroys the entire state to the roots and exterminates all the state traditions, institutions, and classes. Our task is terrible, total, universal, and merciless destruction, end quote. Uh, Introduce this man to us and why he's one of the most important radicals we haven't heard about. Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting that, you know, historians that I know of, I, I mention that name. Whenever I go out and speak, I, uh, I mention the name and I ask for hands who has ever heard of him. And at best, there has ever been maybe one or people, one or two people who <laughs> raised their hands. Most of the time, nobody raised their hands. And these are people who are, you know, fairly well read mm-hmm. and have been uh, within this movement or at least following it for many years. Um, he nobody's ever heard of him, but in his day, he was infamous. Uh, his group, they were called the Nihilists, mm-hmm. and it was part of the Russian Nihilist movement, which was essentially an anarchist movement. Uh, they were very violent. They were very um, organized, and and he was their leader uh, in the early uh, in eighteen eighty one. He was in jail, but his movement uh, successfully carried out an assassination of Tsar Alexander I. And he had been placed, after murdering one of his followers because he wasn't uh, on board with enough enthusiasm, he was captured and jailed, and the Tsar put him in the most secure jail in the country because he was afraid of him. Uh, Dostoevsky, Fodor Dostoevsky, who you probably have heard of, some of your listeners may have not, but he was a famous author at that time. He wrote a book, and Nechayev was the basis for that book. The name of the book was Demons. Wow. And, yeah, and and Nechayev was 22 years old when he wrote something called the revolutionary catechism, which you are uh, you you uh, read from, mm-hmm. and that became the blueprint for communist revolution uh, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vladimir Lenin uh, found out about Nechayev later on, and Nechayev died in uh, I think eighteen eighty three in prison. Um, but uh, Lenin's older brother tried to follow what Nechayev had done and assassinate Tsar Alexander III, but he was caught and sentenced to death. And so that probably radicalized uh, Lenin even more, even though he didn't need so much. But uh, uh, Lenin loved Nechayev. He he copied and distributed all of his pamphlets. The Revolutionary Catechism um, has a step-by-step procedure for overthrowing nations. Wow. And it, it, it's three pages, but it's very, very um, detailed. And, uh, <clears throat> and and explains how and why they can do this. And so you had mentioned in the beginning uh, Antonio Gramsci, yes. who is given credit for the long march through the institutions, uh, which is you know the the communist penetration of various institutions um, that we now see in evidence everywhere today. I take issue with the idea that 
he was the main uh, driver of that because he was in prison when he wrote the prison notebooks and they were all in Italian <laughs> and they never got, and they never got translated. Uh, the Frankfurt school, which we'll talk about a little bit, um, uh, took his ideas and the Frankfurt school was the one that really implemented them. But, uh, Nechayev says this, <clears throat> That they they have the revolutionaries have no aim other than the complete liberation and happiness of the masses. However, in order to do that, as you quoted, there has to be first and all destroying popular revolt. Therefore, the revolutionaries will use all their resources and energy towards increasing and intensifying the evils and miseries of the people until at last their patience is exhausted and they are driven to a general uprising. That's what we are seeing today. Yes. Constant, constant provocation, constant in-your-face lies, uh, constant efforts at sabotaging our ability to earn a living, the economy, uh, the border, everything, all designed to just drive us crazy and enrage us to the point where we just throw up our hands and say, okay, we either give up or we fight. Mm -hmm. And that's what they want, because the minute uh, we become, uh, you know, the minute we became anything looking like violent, that's when they'd use the opportunity to clamp down on us. And that is why, in fact, they instigated the January 6th, quote-unquote, insurrection. That's right. It was they who planned that. It was they who inserted FBI agents and Antifa members into the crowd of Trump supporters that instigated the, uh, you know, breaking into the Capitol. And, I mean, even at that, people just walked in. They didn't, they didn't break anything except for that window that Ashley Babbitt stupidly tried to break in through, and she died for her efforts. Mm. Um, but it was all instigated by the left, and the goal was to do exactly what they're doing now. Yes. Uh, discredit Trump, discredit the whole movement, basically turn half of the country into domestic terrorists. And if there really had been violence, uh, you know, things would have been much worse than they already are. Look, they already are bad enough. I mean, you have these people in jail for for doing nothing more than trespassing, and they're getting years sentence, you know, multi-year sentences for for next to nothing. And yes. they, they don't get, get access to lawyers. They don't get access to their family. I mean, it's just it, it's beyond unbelievable. James Simpson, it went by so fast today, but what you're talking about, the catechism of the revolution, it sounds like where Solinsky got his rules for radicals. That's to be continued, God willing, in another conversation. But the book is called Who Was Karl Marx? And thank you, James, for your time. Um, Tomorrow, we've got Pastor Kerry Gordon talking about a brand new film called Enemies Within the Church. More on Stand Up For The Truth. Actually, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time. But God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter. We're out of time.